Hi everyone, welcome to the Saker Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. It's episode 67 today, it's the 19th of January 23, and today we are looking at freedom, faith and virtue, uh, strikes and the Church of England. So welcome everyone to the podcast today. Um, today will be a bit of a shorter podcast because um, I actually have um, more uh, school governor duties um, this time tomorrow, but I need to, for that reason, to get a few things done um, today, which I would normally do um, on a Friday. Um, so, you know, I always say it's going to be a shorter podcast and then it always ends up being just as long. So, but I've got a little list of things here that I want to talk about. So what I want to do rather than just going through the kind of main topic like normal, what I want to do really is just to offer a few of my thoughts about um, some of the things which have going, uh, been going on. Um, because, um, yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a, a sort of Christian perspective on, on, on some of these things as well. Uh, but before we get into that, let me just run through uh, a couple of articles which I've seen. You may uh, have um, uh, heard it is the World Economic Forum uh, meeting this week uh, over there in uh, in Davos. And um, Rishi Sunak's not there, but uh, quite a lot of other people are, including the likes of Bill Gates and, um, and folks like that. Lots of world leaders. I think uh, Jeff Bezos is there as well. So, yeah, it's, it's quite, a, quite a lot of people. Um, and um, there were some good articles about the uh, the World Economic Forum. Um, so one was on Unheard back on the um, uh, or few days, yeah the sixteenth of January uh, by Thomas Farsi saying um, how the Davos or the Davos elite took back control. Uh, the World Economic Forum is insulating policy making from democracy. And I thought that was a, that was quite an interesting read, looking at basically how the the elites are, you know, kind of teaming up together, and how they are um, more powerful in some ways than any any kind of political leaders have been in history. This is because of the globalization and technology and so on. It gives them actually a way of getting together in a way that has never been possible throughout history. So it might be interesting to have a look at that. Um, another article about the World Economic Forum is um, by Samuel Gregg in The Spectator. And the title is Why Davos Only Makes the World's Polycrisis Worse. Subtitle, The World Economic Forum Thinks Only in Top-Down Corporatist Ways. And again, I thought this was quite an interesting um, article, which is just saying the kind of things that, that um, I've been saying here, you know, which is that uh, when you think only in sort of top-down ways, then it, it really limits um, what you can do. And, and actually, and actually, you just make things worse at the end of the day, if that's what you do. So I thought that was a, an interesting um, piece as well, and quite thought-provoking, uh, both of those. So, um, yeah, good on the World Economic Forum at the moment. Another thing that I, that I read was just to do with um, Prince Harry, his new book, Spare, which has come out in the last um, week or so. I, I haven't paid any attention to it, really. I don't like all of the attention. It seems to me, you know, that when people are attention-seeking, the last thing that you need to do is give them attention. And with Harry and Meghan, it's not worth the time that's being spent on it, even if he is, you know, heir to the throne and, and what have you. 
I, I just I just think you know giving them the oxygen of publicity is the wrong thing. I I would just not cover it to be honest. I would not say anything about it. They don't deserve it really. But anyway, this is kind of off the back of that. This is um, from the Telegraph by Nick Timothy. The destruction of truth is at the heart of Western cultural decline. And he says, when there are no rules and no facts, all our rights come under threat from the self-obsessed elites. Well, this is another interesting um, take on thinking about the truth. And um, yeah, uh, we'll come back to that, actually. There's something I want to, to talk about in a few uh, minutes, which is which where we'll come back to that. So those are the, the articles. Now, before we go any further, let me say, because I always forget this, if you have any interesting things that you'd like to share, uh, you can just join in or you've got anything to add, any comments, you can join in on a YouTube. You can leave a comment below. You can join in on Telegram. The link is below for the Telegram group. Um, or you can email me through at sacredmusingspod at gmail.com. And uh, I can always... Um, uh, read out any any comments uh, next week. Thank you for everyone who's um, sent me uh, things through over the, the past few weeks as well. Um, I really do appreciate all of you getting in touch. Um, and if you'd like to support the podcast as well, support me, then there is a buy me a coffee link down below. And um, yeah, that's that's um, available. So thank you very much again for everyone who's who's contributed in that way. I really do appreciate it. Okay, so today, like I said, it's going to be a bit shorter, but there's just there's three things that I wanted to talk about. Firstly, it's um, I just wanted to mention the strikes. So it seems like the National Education Union are going on strike, and schools are um, going to, or some teachers are going to be off, and schools might have to close. And um, a lot of people are saying about how you know children have just had a lot of disruption to their education. And you know, due, due to the lockdowns, now teachers are vote, you know, voting to go on strike. This is this is not a good thing. And I find it interesting actually with the strikes because um, it, it's been interesting to see pe different people's reactions. Um, it's interesting how people like and this. This was going back a few weeks with the rail strikes, but people like Paul Embury and Brendan O'Neill. Uh, been very, um, su you know, supporting the rights of the workers to strike. And, you know, they're saying, well, a worker has the right to withdraw his labour. And therefore, they have they, they have the right to strike and they support them. And um, I think that's that's quite interesting. You know, I think this this is one of those occasions where I think the Bible might have something to contribute, which is to say just because something is a right doesn't mean that we should exercise that right. You think of what it says about Jesus, who uh, says in Philippians chapter 2, you know, though being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God to be something to use to his own advantage. So Jesus gave up his rights for the benefit of others. And in the case of, um, uh, there, there's another verse which talks about, you know, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Again, saying that, you know, things may be just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. And that's kind of what I think about the strikes. You know, that, yes, there may be the workers might have a right to it, but that doesn't mean that it's the morally right thing to do. It doesn't mean that it's good for people. It doesn't mean that it's good for, for pupils, for students at the schools uh, and so on. And I think, you know, the Christian duty is that we must love others 
and that it, it just seems extremely tone deaf at the moment to be going on strike um, due to the, the cost of living and everything when everyone is suffering from a cost of living crisis. You know, I can't go on strike um, because of the cost of living crisis and, and other people can't. And, you know, it, it's just we've, we're all in this together, you know, and, and going on strike for more money, while it is understandable, I think it's maybe just quite tone deaf and not very caring towards the people who you're, you're supposed to be serving. And, uh, you know, it does strike me a little bit, like with the teachers, for example, how the union, the teaching unions, were very pro-lockdown at the time. And I think that says quite a lot about how much they really care about children's education rather than caring about their own, the interests of their own members. Um, so, yeah, um, just because something is, is a right doesn't mean that it is morally right to exercise that that right. Um, you may have different perspectives on that. That's just that's just mine anyway. Okay, so the second thing I wanted to talk about was the Church of England. You may have seen in the news uh, yesterday there was a press release put out by the Church of England basically saying that um, they're not going to change the doctrine of marriage, having completed this at great expense, this living in love and faith process. But they are going to take to synod, the bishop's going to take to synod um, the prayers of blessing for same-sex couples after they have, um, after they've uh, had a, a sort of civil ceremony of, of some kind. So, not going to change the doctrine of marriage, which they say will maintain the doctrine of the Church of England, but allowing prayers of blessing, which may be voluntarily used. Now, laying aside all of the inconsistencies in this, because the Church of England, um, its official liturgy is what it believes. You know, So, if you publish an official liturgy blessing a same-sex um, relationship, then you by de facto change the liturgy, change the, the doctrine of the Church of England, whether you change the understanding of marriage or not. Um, leaving aside all those inconsistencies, I think, you know, some people have been wondering, is this the moment when it's, it's time to leave the Church of England? I think that's a, a, a question. I know um, people sometimes ask me about this, you know, what do you think about the Church of England? Uh, do you think it's it's time to abandon the Church of England or whatever? It seems to me that the problem with the Church of England is not by the fact that they are introducing these these prayers of blessing, but the fact that the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and the Archbishop of York, who, um, interestingly enough, was the bishop who ordained me as deacon um, way back when I was first ordained. He was the, the um, Bishop of Chelmsford at that point. Uh, so both of them don't see any problem with this. And they, they, the only thing that they've been saying is they're talking about LGBT inclusion and, and what have you. And the question that I would want to ask is, what went wrong for the bishops of the Church of England, the most senior bishops in the Church of England, to have no problem with, with this? Because you know, the, the idea of marriage in the Bible be, being between a man and a woman, you know, the fundamental union of man and woman, in, it's so clear in the Bible. It's really not open to debate. And, you know, if you read what they said, they said, you know, like Stephen Cottrell, Archbishop of York, said 
Um, we've listened to many voices over the last few years about the hurt and pain caused to LGBT people. And and I just thought, well, that, that just says it all, doesn't it? It doesn't talk about the hurt and pain caused to people who are trying to live in obedience to the teaching of the Bible. You know, celibacy, a life of celibacy, um, for example, if if you um, are attracted to those of the same sex. There have been many people just faithfully getting on with their Christian lives, living a single life, but, you know, living a life in obedience to God and wanting to serve him. And And now the church has come along saying, Oh, no, actually, all of that sacrifice was worth nothing. You know, you should have just indulged yourself. Now, how difficult for them. And, you know, it's just this ridiculous notion that the that the people who are <laughs> whinging the most about being victims are the only ones that we want to listen to. Whereas the people who are actually sacrificed hugely are being sidelined again. Anyway, I just feel how we got to this point where the bishops, the most senior bishops in the Church of England, are thinking this. It's clear to me that they have no real interest in actually obeying God, no real interest in the Bible, and no real interest in, in proclaiming the gospel message. What they do is they take a secular message and just, you know, brush it up with a kind of Christian vernacular. And if you listen to the Archbishop of Canterbury, I mean, I mentioned him before, talking about um, migrants and asylum seekers, for example. It's just taking, you know, what, what the Guardian says and dressing it up in Christian trappings. That's all that's happening. I think the problem is that the same-sex marriage thing and these bread blessings, you know, this has just been, this is the, the, the culmination of a long process which began years ago. So... You know, for people saying, is now the time to leave the Church of England? Well, I think we should have been sounding the alarm many years ago. And that's the issue here, that, you know, the, the, the glory of the Lord, I think, has long since departed. And it's taken, you know, if it's taken us until now to recognise that, then I think, you know, we are, we're in trouble. And something which did occur to me, I was thinking about this this morning, is, you know, so often, I mean, I, I know a number of um, clergy friends and I'm in various clergy groups online and, and so on. And so often the, the argument is we need to save the Church of England as if that's the task that God has given us to save the Church of England. And I think, no, you know, the task is to proclaim the gospel. The task is to proclaim the gospel. And that's always the same, whether we're in the Church of England or not. And that's what I would say really, is that, you know, whether we're in the Church of England or whether we're out, um, and, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to say everyone in should leave or or whatever, you know, I, I, I think I would, I could not advise anyone considering ordination to join the Church of England. Um, I couldn't do that. I mean, if you feel like God is leading you, then, you know, by all means, go ahead. But I, I couldn't say to anyone, I think this would be the right thing for you to do um, at this point. Um, in fact, I would advise anyone against it. But, um, you know, I think whether we're in the Church of England or whether we're out, we have to remember our first and foremost calling is to preach the gospel and to share the good news about Jesus Christ. That is something which, 
we need to do whatever regardless because most most people it may come as a shock to to realize most people are outside the church of england most people in society you know they might might put down church of england on a census form but they don't go to church even for carol services they you know they're, they're not there they're not in the church of england so you know we've got a mission field which is most of most of the country which is not within the church of england so let's go and preach the gospel to them that's what we need to do you know that none of this fighting the battle for the soul of the church of england we don't have to do that what we should be interested in is preaching the gospel and winning souls for christ you know let the let the the church of england descend into into heresy and irrelevance for all i care you know if god wants to save it he will our task is to proclaim the gospel and to to make sure that we and our you know those in our circle our families and so on you know to to, to try and make sure that we are seeking god and seeking his ways and let let you know leave it to god to deal with the the central um structures of the church of england that's what i think anyway um i, I hope that kind of made sense um but uh, I just feel more and more like the Church of England is becoming an irrelevance and people's focus on the Church of England as being, a, you know, whether we need to save it or not or leave it or not. I just think that's that's almost irrelevant now. You know, that what 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 needs us most, God needs us for, is for the people out there who are not even part of the Church of England or, or whatever. Um, yeah, so that that's a little rant. I do apologise, but... Um, I hope that you you understand. Um, okay, so the the third and final thing that I wanted to talk about was a really interesting interview f uh, between John Anderson and Os Guinness. So John Anderson interviewing Os Guinness. I love John Anderson. He's a really lovely um, guy, and um, yeah, he's got a lot of wisdom, I think, and he's a very good interviewer as well. Uh, this particular interview, it's on it's on YouTube. It's um, it was published on the twenty second of December, just before Christmas uh, last year, and um, they talk about Os Guinness's new book, which is um, something about oh the Magna Carta of Humanity. It's called. I've just ordered it because on the strength of this interview, I think it'll be well worth looking at in the podcast. So I've ordered the book and I will talk about it in due course. But yeah, this this is one of those interviews where you just listen and you think, wow, this guy has got so much wisdom and insight into freedom. I mean, it's, it's all the things that we've been talking about on the podcast, um, you know, how how the freedom comes from Christian roots, particularly he looks at the Exodus and he, he compares different revolutions. You know, he compares the American Revolution, which was a revolution that kind of went back to Exodus and to the Bible. And he said that a lot of the founding fathers of America were, even if they were atheists, they based a lot of what they said on the Bible. And he contrasts that with the French Revolution and with other revolutions, which were more kind of authoritarian, not based on the Bible and did not end up with more freedom. Really, really fascinating interview. And there are so many things that he said in that interview, which I think are worth picking up on. And so, yeah, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the book. And hopefully he said a lot of things in the book, which um, which I can I can draw out rather than going through an interview. So just watch it yourself. I think, you know, if you, it's 55 minutes long, every minute of it, I think, is worth watching if you've got the time. 
One thing that he does say is um, that I really liked was he talked about how freedom is a, a kind of triangle with faith and virtue. Freedom requires virtue and virtue requires faith. And I thought that's that's fascinating. You know that this is something which I've been um, thinking about for a while. I think I've mentioned before. But I will come on to more in the podcast. I want something I want to explore. Just the idea that to be free needs trust, and and trust requires us to trust each other to do the right thing. That this is where governments need to step in and and clamp down on because people are acting in wrong ways. Whereas if we can trust each other to do what is right and, and virtuous, in his word, then we can have freedom. And in order to do what is right and virtuous, we need faith. And I think that this this interview, I, I thought that was, yeah, it was one of those light bulb moments for me, I think, where you just think, oh, yeah, I can really see that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, freedom, faith and virtue sort of go together and, and freedom requires those other things. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing that he said. Another thing that he said, which really um, hit home, was about truth. And this links back to the article that I mentioned by Nick Timothy about truth um, a few minutes ago. But that so the concept of truth, we have in Western civilization, we have lost the concept of truth. And he says, when you lose the concept of truth, what you're left with is power. And I think that you can see the dynamics of that happening in society at the moment when it comes to, for example, transgender that you get these uh, transgender activists who are just shouting really loudly about transgenderism, but they're not actually coming up with better arguments. It's just a matter of who's shouting the loudest. In other words, it's a matter of authority. And that's why they need the government to enact these laws, because they can't persuade people by rational argument. They have to get the government to do it. And I thought that was really uh, fascinating as well. But the thing that he said, which I really liked, was that truth enables the little guy to stand up against the big guy. That actually, that you know, you and I over these last um, few few years, if you're listening to this, you've probably been someone who has stood against the lockdowns. Perhaps if even if you didn't from the beginning, you know, perhaps now that you're someone who would stand up against that. And um, and that is, you know, we are standing on the truth, even though the majority is against us. But this is the thing, you know, that truth gives us the power to stand. That, you know, when we're standing on the truth, we are standing on something solid, even if it seems like the rest of the world is against us. And, you know, truth gives the little guy the power against the big guy. Because the little guy is standing on something more firm than what the big guy is standing on. And um, yeah, I, I thought that was a really lovely insight, actually. That, you know, truth gives us the power to stand. And that's what we need to be focusing on. We need to focus on standing for the truth wherever we find it. We need to be standing on the truth in, in all areas of our lives and in every area of society. And if we have the courage to stand up for the truth, even in small ways, and even if it seems like the rest of society is against us, the truth will prevail, because the truth always prevails, 
in the end. And that's something that, that we can trust him. So I do, yeah, do have a listen to the, the interview. Um, I think Os Guinness, again, you know, the two of them together, you know, um, a lot of wisdom there. And I think I learned a lot by listening to that. And it really provoked a lot of thought, as you can probably tell. Um, so I hope to um, to sort of go through the book when I get it, when it arrives. And um, in due course, in the podcast, we will we will cover it. So there we go. Now, I'd like to finish the podcast with a reflection from the Bible. And um, often it's a psalm. But today I just there's a verse that I came across from Deuteronomy um, the other day. It was just in a book that I was reading. It quoted this particular verse. So I'm going to quote um, quote. I'm actually quoted in context. So this is from Deuteronomy chapter 33, when Moses is blessing the tribes of, uh, of Israel. And this is his blessing of um, Asher, one of the tribes. So let me let me read it out. So that Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 26 to 29. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun, who rides across the heavens to help you, and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you, saying, Destroy them. So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell secure, in a land of grain and new wine where the heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. There we go. That's a, a lovely passage there. But I, I just wanted to focus on what it says about God. Now, there is no God like God. And, and particularly on those those lines there, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Just dwell on that phrase for a second. Just let that sink in. The eternal God is your refuge. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And sometimes we talk about what's going on in the world as if, you know, it's so terrible. No, it's unprecedented. Nothing like this has ever happened before and so on. But think about God. You know, the eternal God is your refuge. That God isn't surprised at what is going on you know he doesn't look at the world economic forum or whatever and think oh didn't see that one coming you know the eternal god is your refuge underneath are the everlasting arms and just think about what that means for us today that as we go about our day um, this day each day that underneath are the everlasting arms that god is big enough and strong enough to support us and to lead us and, and to guide us. And it, it is him at the end of the day who through whom we will be victorious in the end. So we need to focus on him, on our eternal God, and trust that he is leading us and protecting us and guiding us in the end. And we do not need to fear. That's just what I wanted to say about that. So let's take a moment for a quick prayer before before we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the eternal God and we thank you that there are the everlasting arms bearing us up and protecting us. And we pray that you would help us to trust you in these uncertain days. And we pray, Lord, in these days of strikes and in days when even the Church of England is 
um, going, uh, going astray. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would lead us back to, to the foundations. You would lead us back to your truth as a society and that you would uh, bring about our freedom uh, once again. And we ask, Lord, that you would lead us forward and bring about a real uh, renewal and reform and, and revolution of our lives in the right ways. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much, everyone. I think I managed to get there in uh, less than 30 minutes. So there we go. That's uh, that's well done. I'll be back here next week, hopefully with a more normal length podcast. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, God bless. Don't forget all the links down below, the um, telegram, the um, uh, commenting, the um, buy me coffee, all of those things. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, God bless.